The Psalms help us think about the godly responses to the spectrum of emotions and experiences that we have in the Christian life. And because they are often written in the first person. So, so they make a, a number of statements, a lot of statements about I or me, what I will do or how I call upon God. These Psalms that, that come from the, the me perspective are written so that, it, at least in some ways, we immediately sing them back to God without a massive amount of, of thought about how these words relate to me. It's, it's pretty direct. And, and that's obvious because I have been through at least some sort of analogous experience as the psalmist. Now, Psalm 91, however, is an exception in that it addresses the reader. No human person in this psalm makes any sort of I or me statement on their own account in this psalm. This psalm is addressed to us. It's spoken to us. Now, in the evening devotionals that, that I hope help us in some fashion keep an observance of, of the Lord's Day, we've been working through various psalms together. And I'm not doing anything that much different this morning except expanding upon that same strategy of, of looking into the psalms to see how they teach us to engage the wide range of experiences that we encounter in the Christian life. Calvin John Calvin called the Psalms the anatomy of the Christian soul because these songs, in these songs, God helps us to learn to process our life experiences as people who live in God's presence. So I, I hope that everyone watching this morning has been able to watch those evening videos too, but just in case, it might be good to outline my approach to the Psalms, at least for explaining them in these videos, these sermons and devotionals. My, my hope is that not only will my approach in these videos directly uh, provide content from God's Word for you, but I also hope that being plain about how I, I think about the Psalms will help you learn to think about the Psalms for yourself so that you might make more profound use of them in your personal devotionals or in your times of family worship. That's part of my goal in being plain about how I think about the Psalms. So I ask three questions when I come to a Psalm. First, what life situation would prompt someone to write these words? The, the Holy Spirit certainly inspired this book of songs, but inspired them through real people who were in the midst of sorrow, fear, hardship, lament, praise, and joy. We need to take account of why the writer would pen this song. Second, how does this psalm transpose directly into our own life? Because the psalms are at least at one level rooted in human experience, then how can we apply a given psalm to ourselves in a fairly immediate way? And then the third, how does this psalm point us to Christ? Each psalm is messianic and takes us to Jesus. And when we think about Psalm 91, this psalm 
addresses our need to know that God is our defender. It states a divine promise that we will not be overwhelmed when we belong to God. The main point, then, is that God promises to be our protection, which means that we cannot be overwhelmed. Let me say that again. God promises to be our protection, which means, even if things are difficult, we cannot be overwhelmed. So, then, let's turn to our text, though, and and as we think about that first horizon, what did this mean to the first writer Uh, Let's think about how the king was in need of confidence. That's our first point. The king was in need of confidence. So, some scholars think that this psalm is a ministerial address to the king. And that makes good sense to me. God was in covenant with Israel, uh, who was the only nation ever in covenant with God, by the way. And so the king of Israel did have a special relationship to God as the leader of his people. God promised in 2 Samuel 7 that he would prosper David's lineage so that there was always a Davidic king. It would make sense then that God would inspire a psalm that a a minister or I suppose a a priest in Israel's terms would use to address the king in his role as the leader of God's people. It seems then that this psalm would be read to the king or sung to the king on the eve of battle, which is interesting because it means that this psalm was not written in the midst of turmoil or distress, but as a cure in preparation for times of distress. There are many ways in which this psalm reflects similar content to Psalm 46, that famous declaration of of God as our fortress that inspired Martin Luther's most famous hymn. But we can easily see why it would be useful for a king preparing for battle to hear these words from God. Let's take a look at verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. If you were about to lead an army against an enemy... Those are the exact words that you want to hear. If you are one who lives with God, then God is watching over you as you go into your challenge. The language here of of shadow should be, uh, should convey to us a a powerful image. So, so we might think of, of movies, uh, where, where a little boy is being bullied. Or something like that. And the, the chips look down for him as, as the bullies stand over the underdog. Uh, then, though, we, we have this view of, of the boy laying on the ground, certainly to be destroyed or something like that by the bullies. And then this looming shadow comes from behind him and, and shades him. And we even see fear come across the bully's face. And it's it's the boy's father, who is clearly stronger than these bullies, and is full of rage for those who have hurt his son. 
we should think of Psalm 91, 1, like that. And verse 2 teaches the king what his response should be to that promise. It tells him to think like this. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The proper response to God's promise to be our protector is to say back to God that he is our right fortress and we trust in him. Now, after these introductory statements in in verses 1 and 2, verses 3 to 13 explain some examples of of how God will protect this king as he goes into battle. So verses 3 and 4 show how we are like baby birds, but God will keep us from any poacher or disease and will guard us like a mother bird under its wings, under its pinions, the, the outstretched edge of its feathers. Verses 5 to 8 show how in the actual battle, God's king has no reason to fear because God will fell his enemies. Verses 9 to 13 state the reason that the king is safe in battle. God is his refuge and shelter. God himself is the fortress in which the king lives. If you lived, if you lived in the most secure castle on top of the highest mountain, you would feel safe from all your enemies. But even that, Christian, even that is no comparison to having God as your dwelling place and means of protection. God will even command his angels concerning this king to rush to his defense so that he cannot be struck down or even fall to accidental or natural injury. And finally, as we think about the the first setting of this psalm in verses 14 to 16, God himself speaks directly to the king. Because the king is part of God's people, someone who loves God, God will protect him. The bond of love between God and this king ensures that God will respond to the king's call for help. God will preserve him long past this specific oncoming battle to have long life and a taste of salvation. As the king looked ahead to the possibility of battle, this king was in need of confidence. And so God directed the words of Psalm 91 to him, so to state his promise of divine help. And so we, we've thought about that first layer of, of how God addressed the king through this psalm with words of protection that should give him confidence. And, and now we want to ask, how can we apply this psalm directly to ourselves? And so we're going to think about our second point, God's promised presence. God's promised presence. We saw, we thought about how God inspired this psalm as a means to reassure the leader of his people as he led armies into battle. 
But now we need to think about how we can understand this psalm in application to our own lives. First, I actually want to think about the placement of this psalm in relation to psalms that come before it. If you listened last Sunday evening, you may remember that Psalm 89 lamented the absence of the Davidic king and raised the question about if God still cared for his people. Psalm 90 was then Moses' prayer that called to God in times of despair, well-placed for a response to Israel's need for the king. And now in, in Psalm 91, however, God promises security to the king as he leads God's people again. I think this arrangement of the Psalms actually does have something profound to teach us today. There are no doubt times in all of our lives when we have to lament seasons of supreme distress. Israel did when they were without a king. We are meant to call out to God in prayer in those times, as Psalm 90 teaches us. Still, though Psalm 91 assures us that there is an end to our distress, God's promises are never far from hand, even in our most difficult times. That's a good reminder for us. God's people did have a concrete earthly need for a king. In in their day and age, the Israelites, a king was a must-have and was a specific matter of being God's people. They needed the king. Psalm 91 tells us that God met that need for them. Whatever your trouble right now, Christian, God's promises are not far from hand. You may be in distress for a whole host of very obvious or not so obvious reasons. Psalm 91 reminds you that God has not forgotten his promises to his people and that God will stand by those who belong to him. If you are wrestling with an overwhelming present, then the placement of this psalm in the Psalter reminds you that God has not abandoned his promises for you. We can also think about how the specific words of this psalm apply to each one of us, each one of us too, though. The glaring issue here, right, is that None of you, me in particular as well, are not the king of Israel about to go to war. So then how do we fit these words into our own lives? Well, God had called the king over Israel to that role and had given him the task of defending God's people. In that task that God had given him. God promised to uphold and bless him. The king stood on the threshold of a, of a potentially very difficult time uh, of carrying out his responsibilities. 
Now, perhaps then it, it is not that the present uh, distresses you much, but the prospects of what awaits just ahead in the future. Maybe you face the potential of extreme difficulty in leading or providing for your family in the times ahead. Maybe you have hard decisions to make about what your job looks like in the near future or distant future. Maybe you think that the future holds something even worse than that. Or maybe you just don't know at all what the future holds. And Psalm 91 applies to you in that God stands with you in whatever task he has called you to do as a member of his people. He will cover you with his wings like a mother bird. He will cast his long but protective shadow over you in whatever you face. The metaphorical, in a sense, battle that you face may be a difficult one, but God is your dwelling place and will prevent you from falling. It, it is important to note, I really think uh, strongly, that this promise does not mean that we don't have to fight. Verse 7, if you look at it again, tells us that the king would participate in a difficult and deadly battle. Still, God would uphold and defend him. Christian, God will uphold and defend you. The, the present or the future may look overwhelming, but Psalm 91 is a cure for your anxiety because it promises God's presence with you in everything that he calls you to do. It's a profoundly comforting thought that God, as our dwelling place, is the safest place we can be, no matter what he is asking us to do. But having, having thought now about what the psalm was about for the, the original writer and readers, and having thought how we can shift that right into our own lives so that we can we can sing this psalm to God in a very direct way. We now need to think about how this psalm points us to our Lord and Savior. And so we're going to think about our last point, a clear vision of Christ. A clear vision of Christ. We need to consider how Psalm 91 points us to Jesus. This psalm, this psalm is a is a particularly beautiful psalm because there are multiple layers in which it directs us to Christ. I I'm very excited about this point, LCPC, but I'm actually sad at this moment. I wish I could be with you personally to to tell you about Jesus face to face from Psalm 91 because I think that this is amazing stuff. Buried with it, not even buried. It's right there within our text. Perhaps you caught the connection uh, from our first reading in Matthew 4 
that Satan quoted verses 11 and 12 to, to try to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. So Matthew 4, uh, 5 to 7, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil tried to use this scripture to lure Christ himself into testing God. The, the temptation, God will look after you in, in whatever you do, so just fling yourself off of this precipice to, to prompt God into protecting you. But Christ understood the proper sense of this psalm and did not give into Satan's manipulative twisting of God's word. This psalm points us to Christ in that it shows us how God upheld his true king, even when the fiercest enemy used this very psalm against him. So first then, we, we see Christ in the way that he models how to depend upon the true sense of God's word here. In contrast to how Satan tried to use this psalm for temptation, uh, St. Augustine, in his exposition of this psalm, said that Psalm 91 should provide help for us, that we would not be overwhelmed when tempted. He meant that this psalm is about how we are to lean on God in order to endure all troubles of this life, which includes certainly our temptations. Let's think about that for a moment. As I think there are many distinct temptations even right now. All of us are in our homes, perhaps in some ways more than ever, and perhaps left to browse privately on the internet, even during times of work, more than ever before. I think it can be an extra temptation, perhaps especially for our single men and women who live alone, but certainly not exclusively them, to look at inappropriate material online. In another way, perhaps you are tempted to despair about what the future might hold. That would have been the Israelite king's temptation. In whatever way that looks, that temptation to despair, you cannot give up or let yourself make foolish decisions apart from real trust in God, like Satan wanted Jesus to do. So whatever your temptation, take up Psalm 91. God goes with you into battle. 
trust in God. And, and to throw yourself at new commitment to resist temptation. Listen to Augustine that Psalm 91 is a, a wall of defense against temptation. And it's a, a motivation for you to carry forward in strength. This, this psalm also points us to Christ as the ultimate king to whom it was addressed. God preeminently called Christ to be the king of his people. And Christ had a, a massively overwhelming battle to fight. His battle would even, for a time, put him in the grave. But God did prosper him in his task. God was faithful to bring his ultimate king through the ultimate battle. And the outcome of that battle was your salvation. God promised the king in verse 16, With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The father certainly did not save Jesus in the sense of rescuing him from sin. Certainly not as in the way that that term applies to us as sinners in need of rescue from the penalty of, of sin. But God the Father did deliver his son back from the grave and give him glorified life that will last forever. Now Jesus earned those things by keeping the law perfectly and fighting his battle to win his people though. God extends salvation from sin, though, to each of you who would take hold of Jesus because Jesus, the great and mighty high king, earned that salvation for you. Our king went into battle against sin and death, and he prospered. God will now show long life and salvation to you if you trust in Jesus. Because our High King, our glorious Savior, has done battle with sin, the grave, and the devil. And he is one. It's a glorious promise that we have from Psalm 91 that points us to our Savior as this King, whom God did prosper and give victory. We should run to that Savior now, by faith, but also in prayer. So let's turn to our God now and pray. Great and holy God, we do marvel at the depth of your word. We marvel at how richly, it informs us about the Christian life and about our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. We give thanks for this psalm. We give thanks for this psalm about a king whom you would protect. We give thanks for this psalm in the way 
that it reassures us that in all of the things that you call us to do, you will be with us in that as well. We are the ones, as verse 14 talks about, who hold fast to you in love. And we know that because we are your people who love you, you will deliver us. You will protect us in everything that you give us to do in this life because we know your name. We belong to you. And we belong to you because of Jesus. We pray, God, that as we've reflected on our Savior here about how he has done battle with sin, death, and the devil, that we would be reminded of our need for faith. In a few different ways, God, we pray that you would help us to be strong and hold fast in confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. In temptation, Lord, we, we ask that as you call us to holiness, that you would help us in that now. This is a time when we do face temptations of all sorts. Even though we are always in trials of temptation, we realize that there may be more pointed ways that that exists for us today. And we pray, God, that you would uphold us in holiness, that you would help us to imitate Christ in the way that he put down the devil's temptation. He leaned on your word. Even when the devil used this psalm against our Savior, against our Lord, to lure him into temptation, God, we pray that as he resisted by depending on your word, that we would depend on this psalm, that we would make true and proper use of it to throw back at Satan as he would lead us into wickedness. Lord God, build us up in our desire for righteousness. Equip us for that, that we might live faithfully for you. Lord, help us also remember the need for faith in that we need to be joined to this great high king. If we are not members of Christ by faith, then the promise of his victory is not for us. And so we pray for those who don't know Jesus as they watch this message. We pray, God, that you would be moving in them to see that when our king returns, it will be to destroy the enemies of his people. And God, if we are not believers in Christ, then we are those enemies. We pray, Lord, that right now you would change enemies into friends of Christ. That you would make believers even in this moment. We pray for instances of effectual calling to take place even at this very second. Use your word. Use the promise of Christ to do that. Build your people up in confidence as we look at the world around us, as we look at the things ahead. God, remind us that you are with us. You are with us most pointedly in Jesus Christ. Fill us with hope and joy and confidence because of that and help us to rejoice because of it. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.